Hello and welcome to the Data Cloud Podcast. Today's episode features an interview with Patrick Kelly, the Senior Vice President of Product and Design at 8451. In this episode, Patrick talks about first-party data and its insight into customer behavior, utilizing a collaborative cloud, how data influences your local grocery store, and so much more. So please enjoy this interview between Patrick Kelly and your host, Steve Hamm. Patrick, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So tell us about your company, 8451, beginning with the company's unusual name. Yeah, it, it certainly is a unique name. And and I, I promise to come back to that. But first, I want to set some context on, on who we are, because it's relevant to the name. So we're a retail data science insights and media company. We're a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kroger company. Kroger's the largest national traditional grocer in the United States. They've been around for over 140 years. And really, they're all about uplifting America through food. And it's at a very meaningful scale. Kroger's the second largest seller of food in the U.S. And some fun facts, number one seller of deli, as well as the largest florist and number one seller of, of sushi in America. So 8451 helps Kroger and the full ecosystem across grocery retail, namely consumer packaged good companies or brands, as well as brokers, agencies, and publishers, ultimately all about creating a more personalized, a more relevant, and ultimately an inspiring experience for shoppers all along their path to purchase, both in-store and online. So to get back to our name, 8451. Core to the identity of 8451 is, is both data science as well as a, a profound understanding and advocacy for shoppers. And that, that understanding is not just a point in time, but more critically, it's, it's over time. Or what we refer to as a true longitudinal perspective of, of shopping behavior. And so given the significance of that, that perspective for 8451 is actually named after the longitude of the location of both Kroger and 8451 uh, headquarter location here in Cincinnati. Yeah, very cool. So Kroger is a pretty well-known brand, but a lot of its stores actually have different names on them. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, what are the other brands that people might be familiar with in their neighborhood? Yeah, um, as I mentioned, you know, Kroger is a, a national retailer and you're right. One of the reasons why the name Kroger might not resonate with everyone in the audience is it, is it operates in over 25 different different brands or banners. So everything from, you know, Ralph's or Fred Meyer's in the West Coast, as you move into, you know, King Supers in the greater Colorado area, across the Midwest, there's a lot of Kroger's in the Kroger banner, as well as Roundy's and Mariano's, which is a little north in, you know, Chicago and that, that greater area, and then all the way over to, you know, Harris Teeter, on, on the, the East Coast, to, to name a few. Okay, very cool. Now, let's dig in here a little bit. What data analytics services does 8451 offer, and how is it different than the other retail data analytics services that are out there from other companies? You know, we, we have a portfolio of offerings really across loyalty marketing, our insights business, as well as our media business that operates under the Kroger Precision Marketing brand. All of our solutions are designed as I mentioned before, about kind of the purpose of and mission of the company to, to help our clients and partners make connections with shoppers in a really relevant and meaningful way. And our, our differentiation in the market really starts with the foundation of our first party data asset, which represents 60 million households across across the US. That's about one in every two households. And it covers 
over 2 billion transactions annually. And so this, this data asset, as I mentioned, is really the foundation of, of differentiation. But when it's coupled with our cutting edge data science, that's really what brings it to life through all of these solutions and offerings. And, and that science, you know, it spans from descriptive and diagnostic insights to better understand customer and, and, and shopper's behavior and diagnose, you know, again, you know, why that's the case, all the way to predictive and prescriptive analytics that helps ensure that we're not only understanding the customer in the best possible way, but but really that that information is is actually is actionable. And we're we're fortunate and proud that the, you know the industry is really recognizing a lot of that value. This past year, our, our insights business was recognized as the number one in both shopper data actionability as well as the number one grocery retail e-com data asset. And our media solutions being recognized as number one across targeting effectiveness and measurement capabilities, and as well as return on investment. All of those things, again, are, are really built on that, that massive first-party data asset that's, that's so representative of shopping behavior across the U.S. and then the, the science that's applied on top of that in order to bring bring those, those insights, those analytics, and the science to life, as well as ensure that it's that's actionable and it's not just you know, an academic exercise. Yeah, yeah. Now your your media business is is that is that ad placement or is it ad campaign diagnostics or or both? Yeah, it's it's both. You know, our our media business is really it's built for for driving results. It ensures the best addressability, ensuring you can reach the right the right shopper again through that first party data asset. That it is actionable and you can directly connect to the shoppers, and that it's that's meaningfully accountable um, because the measurement is is verified sales match back to the Kroger you know stores and online. Right. So it's everything from you know cross addressability, actionability, and accountability, and it is a closed loop system, which is you know, only of increasing importance as we think about a lot of the the dynamics and shifts in, in media solutions across the industry, third-party cookies going away. You know, we don't rely on those in, when it comes to our first-party data asset. And consumers expect a seamless, a seamless commerce experience and advertisers expect a data-driven decisions. And we're, we're excited to be driving a lot of the, the, the standard and, and kind of elevation of those accountabilities and standards in, in the market. Yeah. Well, let me make sure I understand how your business works. So Kroger is your parent company, and, and obviously you provide a lot of data analytics services to Kroger, but you also sell analytic services to the CPG companies that provide the goods or sell their goods through Kroger. Is, is that how it works? Yep, that's right. Yeah. In addition to those those kind of market offerings, um, we're very embedded into the Kroger um, you know, operating all the way from kind of merchandising to digital to supply chain and operations. And, um, you know, where, where Kroger looks and turns to 8451 to really ad- advance, again, its ability to better serve shoppers is around providing sciences that that really enhance that, that entire ecosystem. And then, you know, to your point, we work across, again, that broader ecosystem. So all of the vendors and clients and partners of, of Kroger to ensure that there's you know, it's it's there's a kind of a full flywheel effect because every single one of those pieces, whether it's better understanding your your consumers as a as a brand that sells into Kroger, or it's activating coupons or promotions or or media placement, all of that, every single touch point is a part of of the shopper experience, and that you know that that includes products being on the shelves. And so, you know, we generate millions of forecasts on a weekly basis to ensure that we have a, a good understanding of what's on, on the shelf and what needs to be reordered. Because, you know, fundamentally, if a, if a product is, on, is not on the shelf, all that other, all those other tactics really become 
pretty significantly minimized. So it's everything from the foundation all the way down to that the personalized experience of, of the shopper and all of the touch points that are necessary in order to bring that to life. Yeah, yeah. I can see how this would be really a valuable relationship for the CPG companies because Kroger, in a sense, is a proxy for their entire business in the U.S. I mean, it's such a such a large market share that they basically can understand their U.S. sales, you know, distribution, all that kind of stuff through that one source that has very detailed sales information and personalization information for them, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're spot on. Yeah. It, it's about getting it right for the Kroger shopper, but also partnering with with that full ecosystem on on their their national strategy. The scale and the robustness of our our data asset is matched in its granularity. And again, you know, of course, we're we're, we're named after the longitudinal perspective that we have. That means right. that you can get a full view of of shoppers. That insight you simply just can't get anywhere else at the at the scale and magnitude and representation that 8451 offers. I want to um, take a step up, kind of 40,000 foot level. Yeah. Traditional retailing faces a number of challenges that we're quite familiar with, you know, including that long term one of purchasing, shifting to online, and then shorter term disruptions from COVID. So I think it'd be great if you could please give us your take on the state of retailing in the US today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're, and you're spot on. The retail landscape. Shoppers' needs and, and preferences seem to be moving at a faster velocity and, and are more dynamic than ever. A lot of disruption happened over two, two and a half years ago as the pandemic was was introduced to, to the US. And that was a you know a very point in time shift in consumer behavior. And having a finger on the pulse of of your consumers and again, not just your, you know, your sales and unit volume is meaningfully important to being able to to, to understand that and then be able to react to provide the best experience for for shoppers. And while COVID, of course, hasn't hasn't gone away, the relevant you know, macro trends of today are, are around inflation. Right, right. You know, in in September, we 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 have a consumer research offering as well that helps us really keep a finger on the pulse of some of the kind of subjective and, and the why questions that our our shoppers are able to answer directly for us. And we found in, in September that still nearly 50% of consumers were feeling uncomfortable with their finances and while that's that that kind of level is 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 starting to kind of be consistent nearly 65% of households still report that they're they're meaningfully looking for sales and deals and coupons and and over half are cutting back on non-essentials and so those macro level trends are are incredibly important as to how you think about how you build the right experience all the way from you know again merchandising to operations to price and promotions and then while those macro trends are incredibly important, there's there's layered trends on top of that. As we move into the, the holiday season, we're, we're seeing that there's a, a number of about a, a, a fourth of our shoppers are actually going to be cutting back a little bit on their on their Thanksgiving purchases. And so we need to meaningfully understand that as well as we move into the winter you know, 25% of, of shoppers are planning to stock up on natural remedies for, for cold and flu. So that's some of just like the subjective kind of wrapping around some of these macro trends. And then as we, you know, as we've, we've talked about leveraging our data and our science to then take those and then make them relevant for, for each, for each consumer. So, yeah. you know, the, the, the price sensitive shopper that is really deal seeking, ensuring that that's at the top of their, their e-com journey when they're online, or that when they come into stores, they can be confident that across every single category and across every single need state, 
there's a really competitive offering for them. While there's others that, as we again move into the excitement of the holiday season, still want to experiment and and bring joy through food as families to come together. And so we want to be able to continue to inspire our shoppers as well, regardless of, of, of who they are. And I mentioned this before, but that goes all the way from supply chain and ensuring products are on shelves to offering the right promotions and creating the you know the most relevant and personalized experiences so that Shopping for for groceries is is inspiring and, and delightful, regardless of where you are and what your top concerns and needs are. Yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned before that your data represents about half the households in the United States, about sixty million households. What types of data do you have, and how do you gather them? Yeah, so you mentioned again the sixty million households representing about half of the United States. That's a, that's that's the foundation of our first party data asset, and that's an earned asset from shoppers in exchange for value. For over twenty years, consumers have been opting in to the Kroger loyalty program, which has allowed us to capture purchase data on ninety six percent of sales that go through Kroger stores and online. And in exchange, consumers earn fuel points, receive discounts. Are provided a personal, you know, personalized offers and a personalized experience and an overall enhanced and more relevant experience. That value exchange is is key to the relationship that Kroger has with the shoppers and again to to that extremely valuable first party data asset. And and while that asset represents thousands of stores and online, millions of shoppers and, and billions of transactions. I'll actually I'll use an example that I think will will highlight some of how we actually build upon that data. And the, the example I'll use is really through our, our personalization sciences that really drive the curation of the shopper's online experience. So just to start with the scale of it, right? In total, we're mining 10 petabytes of data. And that's a, that's a magnitude that's really hard to comprehend. To put it into to different terms, it would take two and a half years of nonstop binge watching of 4K movies to get to one petabyte of data. You could take 4,000 digital photos on your smartphone every day for the rest of your life and still be short of one petabyte of data. So that scale is absolutely critical for our data scientists to apply the machine learning methods on the data signals that inspire discovery and really drive conversion. And our personalization is is rooted in the rich observed behavior, right? So we talk about that that really massive and, and granular data asset. Well, we build things on top of that, you know, basket composition, purchase modality, product metadata, and so on. So from, from taking that fundamental asset, we're actually able to create descriptive analytics and de- derive needs on top of it. Things like key customer segmentations, such as price sensitivity, your affinity for convenience, the importance of quality, your affinity for innovation, you know, how likely you are to, to try new flavors and or buy new products. And th- this is all very highly predictive data. And so when we, we actually start to think about how we activate on that, we've got 100-dimensional customer embeddings, 100-dimensional product vectors. That creates 60 trillion combinations of customer and product per week. And then finally, when we apply the predictive and prescriptive machine learning on that, you know, things like deep learning, Bayesian techniques, and other machine learning models, that produces the highly valuable and highly relevant personalization that, that creates the ins- inspiring shopper experience. So there's there's massive amounts of data and science and enrichment that go on behind the curtain so that when you when you go on to Kroger.com or you or you pull up the Kroger app, you're you're pro- you're actually provided with a really simple experience, which shows the things that we know you most want at the top of your list. 
and offers you the most relevant deals, the most relevant promotions, the most relevant coupons, and most importantly, the most relevant products. Because the endless aisle, while it's nice that that, that means that you, know, you can have a you know, massive inventory online, you don't want to encumber your, your shoppers with the realities of that endless aisle. You don't want people to, to scroll and make it a challenging experience to find the things that they want. So that's that's a little bit you know, of a personalization example to bring to life, again, that first party data asset, how we enrich it, and then how we apply science to it to create, you know, a, a, an inspiring and a relevant and simplified experience for, for our shoppers. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, I recently wanted to make an apple pie, and I had the New York Times recipe for it. And I went to a local supermarket, and they had like, an entire row of different salty snacks, but they didn't have two or three of the key ingredients I needed for, <laughs> for an apple pie. And I felt like, wait a second, maybe these guys aren't doing the right data analytics on, on this um, this assignment here. But, you know, I, I, I can see how critical it is to be able to have the right things available. And uh, I, I discovered that firsthand. You know, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that Kroger is the biggest seller of sushi and flowers in the United States. Did those things kind of emerge out of data insights or was that kind of predating this kind of real, you know, heavy duty data crunching that you guys are doing now? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a combination of the two. I mean, the floral okay. apartment and offering sushi, it certainly, you know, it, it, it predates some of the like advanced analytics, but I think it actually goes back to the kind of critical principles that we're talking about, which is, understanding your consumers, what their needs and wants are, and then meeting them where they are. And what we what we found, and part of the reason that we have uh, floral departments in so many of our stores is that that's an opportunity. That, that occasion, going to the grocery store, is one where those two needs are actually joint. Not to mention that, I don't know if you've ever been to a florist within a Kroger store, but it's a wonderful experience. They've yeah. got great flowers. And it goes even back to the principles around, around freshness. You know, Kroger stands by, it's fresh for everyone. And it, it recognizes that 70% of, of shoppers actually make their decision on, on where to shop based on, you know, the freshness of, of the, of the food. And so again, when you, when you start to expand on that, when you really meaningfully understand your shoppers, it presents you with an opportunity to grow your business in meeting the, the needs of, of those shoppers. And in this case, you know, a lot of a lot of people want to be able to to not have to go to another location in order to buy flowers or or to buy their sushi and your your local grocery shop yeah. or going online is is a great way to to capture that need for for yeah. shoppers. Well, it's tremendously powerful. I know that I go shopping every week for the family and almost every week I bring flowers for my wife. And I got to tell you, this this is about love, you know. How often do you go out shopping and bring home a little, a little bit of love to your loved ones? It's, and so it's 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 really powerful and magical. So I get that. Well, I'm, I'm taking I'm taking notes, Steve. And I hope everyone in the audience <laughs> is as well. That that right there. That's a pro tip. You can make me. Uh, you can do a study of me. You know. Yeah, and, that's uh, great. And you'll get you'll get some good tips. Yeah, you know, we talked about the the 60 million households and all the data that you guys have. I've heard you talk on you know some of the videos and stuff I've seen about the awesome responsibility that managing all this data entails. So how does 8451 address these trust and transparency issues? Yeah, it is it's a, it's a great question. It is an awesome responsibility for sure. A lot of that responsibility goes back to what I mentioned before about the exchange of value. That loyalty is earned and it's 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 earned repeatedly. That value exchange is about 
consumers continuing to, to opt in and leverage that loyalty program because they see the value coming on the other end. And on top of that, you know, back to, to the purpose and the mission of both of both Kroger to feed the human spirit and 8451, which is centered around making people's lives easier, building trust and transparency is, is key to, to that mission as well. And that responsibility fits squarely in our, our philosophies as an organization. That's both, again, with that relationship directly with the customer, but also in terms of how we leverage that data and insights with all of that whole ecosystem, all of our clients and partners. And the understanding of the consumer is matched with being an advocate for the consumer so that as we engage consumer packaged goods companies, it is so that we can jointly better strategically understand shoppers to improve their experience. As we engage our media clients and agencies and publishers, it's to ensure that wherever a, a customer is, that they're being they're being served relevant information to them. And they're they're delighted, you know, when they go online and they see that their favorite products are are on promotion and that that's served up to them. So it, it really is pretty fundamental. And and you know the 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 landscape of you know data and, and security and privacy is one that is ever shifting and, and very dynamic and particularly now. And so you know we hold ourselves to a really, really high standard, not just in terms of the regulatory, but we want to we want to set our own standards that that meet and go above those standards, and again, truly be an advocate for customers across both the the experience as well as the responsibility that we that we have managing that first party data asset. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about you a little bit, you and your role. You recently became SVP in charge of product and design. So, what exactly does that mean? What do you what What is your role? And also. You know, you're you're new to it. What's your strategy for taking the company to the next level? In my role, leading product and design, of course, you know, I'm responsible for managing our our product and, and design and agile teams, as well as for that enterprise product strategy. And a lot of what we talked about today, I think, highlights you know, the complexities of the full ecosystem of of grocery retail, as well as the complexity of of, of all of, of of that full ecosystem and all the stakeholders and all of the partners and all of the clients. And so, you know, a big focus for me is not only continuing to enhance the experience that we deliver to our clients and partners to make it easier for them to, you know, create better experiences, you know, invest in better products, you know, ensure that their their R&D, that their merchandising decisions are on the right path to to growing their business with 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 shoppers, which is mutually beneficial. But it's also ensuring that as we build all this complexity, that we're not also making it more complicated. It's easy for a lot of these different areas of, of our business across insights and merchandising and media and loyalty marketing to, to run in, in different directions. So one of the biggest challenges is continuing to also pull that back into a connected experience. You know, a promise that we have and Kroger has to its shoppers is about a seamless experience. And we want that to even extend to the ecosystem that that brings the, the grocery retail experience to life. We want to we want to make it more connected. We want the sophistication of our sciences to actually create simpler experiences. So things like going from insights to activation become easier and easier over time. And there's there's massive opportunities for us to do that. Again, whether it is you know providing the right data at the right time in the right context for operators and, and individuals in the store to make sure that the store is in, in, in shape and has products on, on the shelves, all the way to you know working with, again, brands and CPGs so that when they do get that nugget 
of, of, of insight that it's aligned to their strategies and it's actionable um, so that they don't have to then take on the burden themselves to figure out how to, to not just make sense of it, but how they turn that into strategic action that ultimately impacts the consumer. So, you know, to kind of wrap all of that up and if I were to oversimplify it, it's, it's, you know, it's furthering a lot of the, the capabilities and science that we have, but doing so in a way that's that's even more connected than we are today across, again, all of that, that complexity across the full ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. Now, product, you know, that's the capabilities, the analytical capabilities or the availability of data. Design kind of suggests how it's delivered. And I would think you have a whole range of clients. So, I mean, we talk about users, I guess that I would, I would say. And everywhere from data scientists to business analysts. And, you know, you're, you're creating a lot of new services. I would think that UI design must be critical for you. And, and, and how, do you, how do you manage that? And how do you manage to have the whole you know, to deliver the services in a way it's consumable to, you know, everybody from these real expert people to other people who really aren't technologists. Yeah, you're, hit, you're hitting a challenge right on the head, Steve, which is there, are, there is a whole spectrum of, of users from non-technical users to, to, to business users, to analysts, to really, you know, an incre- increasing trend in, in data engineering and, and data science and machine learning across our own clients and partners, not just within 8451. And when we think about design, experience design, it, it, it even goes beyond the the UI and just, you know, the kind of the buttons and colors on the page, so to speak. It's much, much more deep than that. It's actually about thinking about that experience holistically and designing for the experience and the workflows and the systems and how they all fit together. Things like, you know, having a single source of truth is incredibly important because you don't want and simply can't afford to have you know, different answers showing up differently across these different platforms or across these different user types. So design is critical, as I think you're alluding to, because it's not just about, hey, we want to make this report look pretty. It's actually about thinking and really empathizing with that full spectrum of users, ensuring that the workflows that we build, the experiences that we build are are have have those end users in mind. And so that that is that is a real a real challenge. You know, we're we're also, you know, we're fortunate with the talent that we have. That we have, you know, we have great data scientists internally. We have great consultants and, and account managers that we get to leverage as, as both users as well as you know people within 8451 that have direct relationships with our clients. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd say that's a journey. That's that's definitely a journey. That's a key focus, as I mentioned before, is balancing the, the sophistication and advancing of capabilities yeah. with not losing sight of ensuring that that sophistication doesn't make the world more complex. It needs to actually simplify the experience and and drive more and more connection. And design plays a a key role in all of that and actually how it comes to life. It seems like data is just absolutely critical to the success of the company. Yeah, it is. You know, and at the end of the day, Kroger is a a fantastic operator of of a grocery business. And increasingly, you know, data and and science and and analytics and all these capabilities are are a necessary part of of the business. And they have been. Kroger has a history of innovating in terms of, you know, being being quick to to jump on new trends that benefit consumers. A funny anecdote is that, you know, we talk about e-com and some of the the kind of acceleration of of e-com due to the pandemic and, and and other shopping preferences. Kroger today is actually a top 10 e-com retailer in the United States, which which is is wild. And when we go all the way back to the late 1800s, when Barney Kroger founded Kroger, he actually had a delivery service himself. 
where he would get on a horse and he would deliver groceries <laughs> to his local shoppers. So while e-com is, you know, is new and, and sexy and fresh and growing, it actually goes all the way back to the late 1800s when, when Kroger was founded. So he was the original DoorDash, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's funny. You know, talk, talk about being early to the market. Yeah, yeah. The the other yeah. thing I would say to that, Steve, too, is that when when you know when I think about analytics, there's to, to maybe oversimplify it, there's really three legs to the stool when it comes to data science and, and business, and you you can't be successful without th- all three legs. You know, it, it we focus a lot on data and this and and science and the sophistication of it, um, and if you don't have good data, you know, you're 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 out of you're out of luck, right? That's the foundation of it. But if you, you don't you don't apply the right sciences on top of it, you're really under underutilizing and missing the mark with uh with how you activate on that data that data asset. And but there's a third leg of the stool that that will fa- that will fall over without it, which is the business context and the business acumen. And and that's one of the kind of pendulums that you see swing in the market as as companies and industries really start to take on data science and and enter the world of of prioritizing that as a capability it's really meaningfully challenging as to how you bring those things together. And you cannot successfully deliver value on that meaningful investment without the proper business context. And you talked about it earlier, whether your end user is an in-store associate that is checking products for out of stock and how you're augmenting that experience to make it effective and efficient, or if the end experience is, you know, the real time personalization and, and serving of products and promotions online it's critical that you not just have the data and the science, but also that business context. We can't lose the importance of that. The world is not going to going, going to just move to being you know run by data scientists who don't have that domain and, and business acumen. That's that's one of the ever growing challenges of how you bring all three legs of that stool together. Yeah, great. So I want to talk about cloud for a minute. When and why did eighty four fifty one begin using the Snowflake Retail Data Cloud? And what are the main benefits you're getting from it? Yeah, you know, we're we're really fortunate and happy to have the relationship that we do with Snowflake. And and really where it started for us is there's a couple things I want to mention. One is just the cloud and, and cloud capabilities, generally speaking. You know, when we talk about our data asset and all of the benefits of of leveraging such a massive data asset and, and what that provides to 8451 and, and Kroger and all of our clients and partners, it also provides a massive operational challenge because it, it historically is required for us to be our own operators of data centers and purchasers of hardware and how do we provision and maintain and, and grow. And so when you move to the cloud, it simplifies that, right? It, it takes that, that, that competency, which is not necessarily core to your business, and it, and it puts it in the hands of, of companies like Snowflake that are, that are best in the industry at offering, you know, the, the, the data capabilities that are necessary in order to to make use of the scale and size and value of our data, and so that's fundamental. And and you know where the relationship started with with Snowflake and and our use of the Snowflake Retail Data Cloud, there's two key things that really I think kicked off our relationship. One was as you can imagine with the size of our data, there's an incredible computational intensity depending on what it is that we're doing with our data, right? So you can think of things that are really simple, like summing sales over time. That That's, you know, in today's world, pretty oper- operationally simple and, and easy. However, when you're looking across 60 million households and you need to do a distinct count or, you know, you're, you're putting forward a, a assortment methodology that takes into consideration 
each of those, it's not just, you know, summing sales, but you're actually taking into consideration all of the interactions that all your different shoppers have with all of your products. Right. You can, you get to a point where actually computations result in folding over trillions of rows of data. Right. And when we started to kind of test and do some proof of concepts around cloud providers that could handle that in a way that was that was performant, Snowflake really shined. And, and that was that was probably the beginning of, of our relationship was around the ability for Snowflake to, to not just manage and handle this this volume of data, but to also meet meet our needs in terms of some of the unique computational intensity that we have. And that's really a kind of an internal facing, really necessary capability that we have in order to, to surface up some of our things, some of the insights that we have. And then the second was around the capability of, of data collaboration. I think data collaboration is, you know, it, it's a really interesting concept because it's it's so much of the discussion as we think about how we interact and how we're evolving our interactions with our clients and partners. And frankly, historically, it's been a friction point. And collaborating and sharing data is something you want to be able to take for granted, right? You don't want the focus of your discussion with your clients and partners to be on, you know, systems and technology and how do we do this and how do we do that? You want to be focused on the strategic initiatives, the insights, the machine learning that you're building and working with a company like Snowflake that takes takes the load, the complexity of historical complexity of data collaboration and enables you to take it for granted. It's a, it's a massive, massive capability and enhancement for us. And so those are, I would say, are like the two things that really started our relationship a couple of years ago with Snowflake. And we continue to build on those capabilities. And, and we feel like, you know, we're getting the best of industry leading capabilities through Snowflake. So we can focus on the things that we do best, which is building the science, building this, those strategic insights, partnering with our clients and ensuring that, that you know, the insights to activation and ultimately the, the, the result that the end shopper sees is maximized. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I want to drill down a little bit on sharing and collaboration. When and why did you develop the collaborative cloud and what role does Snowflake's technology play in it? So we actually launched the collaborative cloud in the market last year. And but I'm going to go back in time a little bit prior to that. The the history and the legacy of, you know, being an insights provider within the grocery retail space was predicated on web-based applications and syndicated reports. And, and inevitably that requires the provider, you know, 8451 to have a curated view of how we present insights. And then the end result of that are aggregated insights that come out of these web-based reporting applications. And that application has really meaningful value and continues to have really meaningful value in the market. It enables a lot of non-technical users to be able to get fast, relevant insights that are really pertinent for how it is that they want to continue to manage and, and action in their business. However, there's there's an emerging trend over the last several years to complement that, which is we're seeing the industry really invest in, in data, in technical capabilities, in you know, advanced analytics and data science. And so we had an opportunity a couple of years ago to kind of take a step back and say, you know, how, how is it that we can actually reimagine our experience with, with the industry, with our clients and partners? And what we realized is that we, we really have to go beyond the web-based application, the kind of syndicated reports. We have, to, we have to build and offer capabilities that enable collaboration on data science and on that data asset, right, right. both meeting clients where they are, but also catalyzing their journey and their investment in data science, because that's a meaningful investment. But for all of these, you know, all of our clients and partners to become 
science and data organizations is no small task. You're you're asking, you know, consumer packaged good companies where the core value proposition of their business is to manufacture and sell goods to also be a leading technology organization. So that, you know, that entails technology decisions, you know, capabilities, data science, you know, data scientists and the skill sets that, that they need. And so by partnering with 8451, Again, we're able to not only support them and catalyze that journey, but we're able to ensure that their the return that they see on that, that on that investment is maximized. So what the collaborative cloud is is an experience that's specifically built for those those new users in the industry, and it enables our clients to get the best of eighty four fifty one, not just you know access to our data, but also you know the building blocks of our science. So you know as it's it's aptly named, so that can be a collaborative exercise, and and ultimately it, again meeting the needs of where our clients are now and where they're going, um, and data sharing and data collaboration is a is a meaningful part of that. Yeah, yeah. So Steve, I, actually, I'd like to share an example um, to to kind of bring some of that that value to life. Of course, um, of course. Go ahead. So, Just go. So when we we actually were piloting the collaborative cloud prior to launch, we were working with one of one of our clients and had agreed to to a pilot right at the beginning of, of 2020. And we'd scoped out, you know, initial use case and analysis around market basket analysis that, that tied to kind of some of the way that their marketing teams both kind of viewed view data and insights as well as activated on it. But as you can imagine, at the beginning of 2020, the whole industry was sidelined by the pandemic. And what we realized through that pilot is that, that in March of 2020, as the pandemic hit, everyone in that organization, in that, in that CPG, from the CEO, executive team on down, was asking the questions of what is happening? What are our shoppers doing as a result of this pandemic? And the realization was that, well, through the collaborative cloud, our clients actually had access to the 8451 data asset. And it really removed the black box so that their most important strategic questions, they could take they could take ownership of how they wanted to answer those. And so that executive team turned to their analytics organization and they had access to 60 million households, half of the US's behavior. And the data is clean, it's trusted and it's ready. And it's last week's data available on Monday. Right. It was a transformational opportunity for us as we realized the true power and value of data collaboration because they shifted priorities away from the market basket analysis directly onto what are the impacts of, 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 of the pandemic. As things were going out of stock that were you know core products within their portfolio, what were the shoppers doing without those products on shelves? Were they moving to other products within that brand portfolio? Were they moving to competitors? Were they switching down on size? And those shopper insights impacted everything all the way up to the manufacturing of that organization. And I bring that, I bring that example to life because it really demonstrates the power of, of data collaboration. It, it significantly reduces the lead time to go from strategic need to insight to action. And while it was the pandemic, you know, in, in 2020 and has continued today, you know, it's inflation today, it's the holiday seasons, whatever the strategic initiative is, our clients and partners are able to take advantage of leveraging the collaborative cloud to go after their the things that are most strategically important for them um, and, and, and leverage both 8451's data assets as well as our science in order to make sure that, that, that again, that time to value is drastically shrank and that the, the, the total scale and the representation of that data asset gives them the confidence to make strategic decisions. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. What role does Snowflake's technology play in the collaborative cloud? The cloud, yeah. So 
the collaborative cloud, as I mentioned before, and, and you know, of course, is in its name, is really all about collaboration. And where Snowflake really shines is in making collaboration and making you know things like data sharing just just simple and easy, being able to take it for granted. Of course, you know, on on this podcast and you know even within our teams, we we like to talk a lot about you know the data and all of the kind of capabilities and experiences around it. But the reality of it is is that when we engage with our clients, we want to be able to take those things for granted. And with Snowflake, we're able to do we're, we're able to do just that. We don't actually have to think about the complexities of data sharing and collaboration. We can take that for granted and focus on the strategic initiatives. So Snowflake plays a, a fundamental role in, in ensuring that you know our our ability to 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 share data, but really more meaningfully is collaborate on on data. We want to we want to build science jointly with our clients. We want to meet them where they are and and accelerate their journey. And Snowflake is a is a pivotal capability in order to do that seamlessly, because coming out of of the collaborative cloud, we also want to ensure that 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 insight meets its end user. While the data scientist or the data engineer might be the actual user for the collaborative cloud. They're likely not the business stakeholder that needs that insight right. to make a key key decision. So, so Snowflake makes it so not only can we you know collaborate on data effectively, but then that data can easily meet its end destination and meet its end user, so that they can make a better decision for for their business and ultimately for their shoppers. Yeah, you've talked about how important data sharing and collaboration are to eighty four fifty one and your clients. Whenever you Whenever you share data, whenever you start collaborating on data, there are issues of ownership and access and things like that. So how do you use cleanroom technology to kind of merge the data without compromising privacy of the end customers or the ownership boundaries of the data? Yeah, Steve, you're, you're spot on in that, you know, the ideas of ownership and data governance are fundamental and historically Frankly, they've been they've been deal breakers to meaningfully collaborating in, on on data and on on science creation. So, you know, the introduction of of clean room and clean room capabilities present a new tool in the tool belt. And while I think clean room right now is a is a you know is a very it's getting a lot of attention and it's definitely a buzzword. You know, our perspective isn't necessarily that it's a silver bullet or it's a panacea. But rather, it's it's another capability that unlocks new use cases and and new opportunities. And so, specifically, you know, when we talk about data collaboration in the collaborative cloud, you know, there's there's not a lot of you know governance concerns with maybe a client bringing in product attribution into the collaborative cloud and and enhancing their view of products and what that can do for analysis. But when you start to talk about other first party data assets, that 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 quickly becomes a deal breaker. And the clean room is actually is an unlock for that because you can bring first party data assets together in a way that is is highly secure and highly governed and then have some of that collaboration happen within the clean room and 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 again, you know, really unlock use cases that just simply weren't available before. How we're leveraging that today is, you know, we're I think we're really early, and I think the industry is really early in realizing the full potential of of the clean room. There's a lot of value in in really simple analyses, like you know, just seeing the overlap of of you know some first party data assets to do some some basic kind of descriptive analyses that that shed meaningful strategic light on like oh you know what's the sales performance of of you know loyal Kroger shoppers and how does that overlap with maybe the the, the you know the CRM of of a given client where I'm excited for it to to continue to go and and really excited with the developments that Snowflake continues to put out in its investment in the collaborative cloud is to actually be able to do science in the clean room mm-hmm. because then you can actually apply machine learning directly into that clean room and and you can you can really 
really amplify the value that you're able to get out of that collaboration. As you mentioned in your question, as I started with, you know, security and governments are first and foremost for us. For us, I mean, that's that's those are standards that we're just not willing to compromise on. In the clean room, again, it just expands the the surface area by which we're able to collaborate effectively with our clients. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned being able to do data science within the clean room. Well, let's let's talk about future capabilities here for a minute. When you look forward over the next year or so, what are the key data analytics technologies that you see emerging as key for the retailing industry and and key for you guys? Yeah. I think some of the, the the kind of future capabilities that, that I think are really relevant are some of, some of our our advancement of existing capabilities. I think clean room is going to play a meaningful role in that. Again, a lot of this actually has to do with not just advancing the capabilities in themselves, but the advancement of what that capability can unlock. Clean room is a great example, right? We're able, you know, we're able to build great machine learning algorithms today you know, leveraging languages like Python, but we build that on our own first party data asset as, as a capability that clean room, you know, continues to progress and, and Snowflake continues to put enhancements and features into that. It's going to enable us to actually move some of that machine learning into the clean room and fundamentally enhance what we're able to get out of it. So I, I think, you know, advancements of, of kind of current capabilities on, on a, you know, a linear or, or an exponential path are going to present a ton of value opportunity on top of that. You know, there, there's also the spectrum of of connectivity, and I, I think this is this is one of the most important things that we we all need to focus on as we advance our analytical capabilities, which is the connected experience across analyses, so that everyone from you know a business user to a data scientist to a data engineer to an analyst can all perform the necessary analyses that they can that they have in their own pockets, but they're not actually you know, the experiences themselves are not in pockets. So right. one way that that could come to life is when you pre present or perform rather, a, you know, a data science machine learning algorithm, that that's not just done, you know, in some provisioned cloud environment, but instead that's very much connected to the interfaces that the business, that the business teams use. And there's a seamless connection there. Similarly, as a business user maybe defines a segmentation or, you know, puts a perspective onto the data in terms of the, the importance of certain product attributes, that that seamlessly can flow into the data science environments that your, your scientists are using. Because today, while all of those a lot of those capabilities may exist, they exist in pockets. So there needs to be this, this meaningfully connected experience. And I think you know, the near-term innovation is simply going to reduce the friction to have connected experiences across our clients and partners, as well as within 8451. So you, you can really make sure that you, one, have a single source of truth, and two, that the collaboration across this wide spectrum of users is really, really intensified through easy and seamless connection. And, and, and in some ways, it almost kind of feels like magic. Right, a lot of that complexity needs to be behind the curtain in terms of data movement, data sharing, data collaboration, as well as science collaboration. So I, I think that's a lot of kind of the near term of, of of where we're going, and it's it's a lot of the advancement even that we've seen to date in working with uh, with, with Snowflake. Okay. I see the future. What a fascinating modern age we live in. Is this what the future holds? I'm going to ask you to put on your visionary cap for a minute. Looking out five years or even more, how do you see data analytics transforming business or even society? Yeah, I love this question. I always think it's really fun to you know to think to think five years out. You know, some of the things that that come to mind for me, I mean, is is AI and like the true you know kind of the true sense of the word. I know that that 
that sometimes the word AI gets gets a little bit overused and can mean a lot of different things to different people. But as we look at some of the capabilities that are being actively developed today, companies like OpenAI and capabilities like Stable Diffusion, if you're in the audience and that doesn't mean anything to you, and in some ways I'm actually jealous because you get to... <laughs> You get to go and, and onto Google and search those things and just be like wowed by the capabilities that are, you know, have even come out in recent months. Right. But but what we're seeing today is that AI is actually able to create art. It's able to to create to create copy. You know, G, uh, GPT three is able oh, yeah. to write is able to write like a human, leveraging AI. And so as we think about, we're just on the edges of of what's what's possible, what's feasible from AI. And oftentimes the actual capability kind of outruns yeah. the the kind of valuable application. And we're starting to see that the the meaningful application of that capability catch up to where where the science is. So yeah. when I think about five years from now, bringing that capability over into into business more fundamentally and into grocery retail, right. that's everything from you know a ton of of predictive and prescriptive decision making. I really believe in the power of augmented decision making, where it's not necessarily about you know taking the human out of the picture, but leveraging machines and science and AI for what it does best, and then leveraging humans for what they do best in terms of understanding you know the broader context and having some creativity, understanding strategy, and how you bring those two, two things together. I think we're you know despite all of the impressive innovations and advancement we've made to date. You know, I think we truly are in the early days of, of unlocking the power of, of AI, all of that, you know, coupled with what, with what makes it feasible, which again is, comes back to computational intensity and the cost. And those, you know, based on Moore's law, those are things that are simply just going to, you know, those friction points are just going to continue to, to decrease at an exponential pace. And I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned GPT-3 and the other one is Dolly 2. That's the, yeah. that's, the, that's the art one. These are based on foundation models, and which has really been the explosion in the past couple of years, you know, using deep learning, using neural networks, things like that to really take on gigantic corpus or corpuses of, of data, different kinds of information. And, and you've got it. I mean, you know, the Kroger universe of data is that kind of gigantic kind of multi-dimensional thing that can really benefit from this kind of technology. So that's going to be really cool to see what you, what you guys do with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For your information, there's a lot more to ogres than people think. Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real up close and personal. You know, we typically end the podcast on a lighter, more personal note. And I understand from our previous conversations that you actually love to go grocery shopping, especially with your family, even with the three kids in tow. So tell us, what's so great about that? Why do you love that? You know, what's the, it sounds chaotic to me, but. Yeah, no, I appreciate I appreciate the the question. I think you know in some ways maybe I'm just inflicted by by my profession because you know personally it's hard for me to walk into a grocery store without just you know seeing and appreciating the the millions of decisions that need to be made in order to curate that experience. So I just I have a great appreciation for you know what products were selected, you know where are they in store, what are the price points, what are the promotions. So there's just an intellectual curiosity that I have when I when I grocery shop, but. I think, you know, more importantly, and you mentioned, you know, I, I do love to grocery shop. I also love to do it, you know, to, to bring my kids along. I have, I have three boys that are all, you know, at the toddler stage and just food and, and, and grocery is so center to family connection. I mean, 
for for us on any given day, the one time that we are guaranteed to be get together as, as a family is a, is around the dinner table, right. and and so like that, I don't take that for granted. It's not it's not lost on me. So when I get to go to a grocery store and and shop the aisles and bring my kids and my wife along, you know, seeing what my kids get get excited by, what inspires them, and as well as you know, oftentimes it's because we're anticipating you know cooking a meal together, and I get to do right. my own right. discovery and exploration and and find new foods and flavors. So I I just I, I love that experience. And to your point, it, it certainly is chaotic, but like there's beauty in that chaos because uh, yeah. that's the day to day you know experiences that you get to have with your, your your children. And I'm I'm super happy that you know food is a is a definitely a is a binding experience and a, and a loving experience for our whole family. So yeah, and with the holidays coming up, you know, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of grocery shopping and there's going to be a lot of food that brings us all together. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the fifties, you know, shocking, but back then it was all white bread and peanut butter. So I, I'm glad that things have gotten much more, the, the, the variety I've gotten much more, <laughs> more uh, broad for, for the kids these days. Me too. I'm not sure I'd have that same perspective if that was uh, just, you know, being, being offered white bread yeah. and peanut butter. There's just, there's so much fun and innovation to explore in a grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation and, you know, it seems like week after week, I'm talking to, to partners or, or clients of, of Snowflake that are dealing with just huge amount of data. And it just is absolutely mind-blowing. And I just to think about Kroger and the the assets that Kroger has and the and the tools that 8451 has is just is really very impressive. And when I think about your collaborative cloud and that incredible amount of data from you know, first person data from from Kroger, it's almost like it's almost like a, a public utility or something for the CPG industry because there's just so much of it. It's so rich. It's so multidimensional. So it's it's um, really fascinating to learn about this, and I'm I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about it. And I think I think our podcast uh, listeners are really going to enjoy this one. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Steve. Thank you. I appreciate I appreciate the invite. The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com slash data dash cloud dash world dash tour.